Chapter Six of the Coming People. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Coming People by Charles F. Dole. Chapter Six: Shortcuts to Success. Every hope for human progress hinges on the fact that we live in a universe. Does anyone believe in the continued march of inventions and wiser and more universal education, and purer politics and happier homes? in a nobler society, and a more equitable distribution of wealth? The only conceivable basis for such splendid ideals, the only reasonable spur toward realizing these ideals, comes from a more or less conscious belief that we are citizens of a divine universe. If there were no rational course to be sailed, if there were no good end or purpose, no discipline of manhood, and no ideals toward which the discipline proceeds, what reason would any man have for struggling to urge onward a colossal raft of existence, floating on the waves of chaos? I have already suggested that, if we all really believe this to be a universe throughout, we should hardly dare to do wrong. But our education is not yet very thoroughgoing, and all the moral realm especially it lags behind. Men who think themselves scientific still imagine that there are easy shortcuts to success and happiness. Perhaps all that is known on the personal side as sin and on the social side as crime may be traced to the ancient and barbarous impression that this is a realm of more or less chaos and chance, where you may get your ends by shortcuts. The fact is, all wrongdoing is a practical denial that this is a universe. The desire to economize human labor is not in itself wrong. There may even be a noble reason for wishing to buy the goods which the world offers in the cheapest market. The more we can honestly procure, the more we have to share. The less labor we need to bestow upon getting our bread and butter, the more we have to use for art, education, friendship, and humanity. The processes of civilization are processes in all sorts of beautiful and wise economies. There are quite righteous shortcuts to success. We cannot plant or harvest or build or manufacture or distribute goods too effectively. The righteous shortcuts to success are characterized by a scrupulous regard for facts and laws. They proceed from the most intelligent obedience. What was it but a most patient and accurate obedience to the teachings of nature that gave us Bessemer steel and the telephone, or that laid cables under the ocean connecting the continents? In a very literal sense, the right way is the shortest, that is, the easiest and most economical. We need to make a clear distinction between the shortcuts, which are really nature's highways and belong to us all, which are indeed universal, and those other shortcuts which nature marks dangerous passing. For example, the way of truth tends, like a royal highway, to bind society together. But every lie, however convenient it seems for the moment, destroys confidence between men. Honest weight and fair measure are like the rule of the road. To cheat is to break this rule. How strange that men who believe in modern science think that they can break the rules that make business possible. Boys are often wiser and closer to nature than men are. Each sport has certain rules. Boys do not praise a comrade who breaks the rules and cheats his way to victory. The fact is, the object of the game is not a prize or the glory of being proclaimed victor. The true object of the game is the development of strength, skill, hardihood, the joy of endeavor and of comradeship. To break the rules of the game, therefore, is to sacrifice something of that which the boys seek in their sports. We can see this in any business that touches mechanics. Here is the builder of a railway bridge. Is he building in order to make money, 
And is his success measured by the profits of the work? No, he is building for the convenience of man and for the security of human lives. To sacrifice strength and durability, however large profits accrue to the builder, is not to succeed in bridge building. Is there some shortcut in education? No. In the world of letters, the man makes himself ridiculous who bears degrees and honors that represent no real learning. There are plenty of places where you may take a scow over bars and ledges into the harbor. But if you are steering an ocean liner, well freighted, carrying hundreds of lives, you must sail in by the ship channel. So if you wish to bring in a noble, all-around, and disciplined mind, accurate, thorough, well-furnished, you may use the tides and currents that flow in the region of the intellect. You may blast away the ledges that impede the course. You may straighten the channels. But the more heavily you are freighted, the less can you afford to neglect the buoys and the beacons that show the great safe and common way into port. Education demands work which no shortcut of laziness can ever avoid. Is it not strange that the very boys who despise humbug, sham, and mere marks ever come to suppose that the great realm of commerce or business is traversed by shortcuts? Boys think it's success to get an easy berth and a salary by favor and the influence of rich relatives or by some political pull. Boys learn to tell lies in the name of business in order to sell goods. Yes, good boys learn to break the rules of the sport and to cheat their way to the goal. It is a false education that spoils our boys and persuades them that there is any single great department of human interest where men can safely neglect the great highways and take private ways of their own. Do boys yet know the alphabet of the universe who go from school to use lies, frauds, and falsified accounts or to build bussy bridges? Or does any intelligent youth Imagine that there can be in business a shortcut that does not finally carry the mean or selfish man who follows it to loss, disgrace, or ruin. He made a fortune, men say. Yes, the answer comes by telling falsehoods, by watering stock, by wrecking railroads, by bribing legislatures, by lobbying in Congress, by partnership with fraud, by agents whom he allowed to lie for him. Do you suppose a man is ever proud of the fortune against which these charges are true? The universe is absolutely accurate in its accounts in the long run. All mere appearances to the contrary, you really get what you pay for. Never was word more philosophical than Jesus' refrain, Verily, I say unto you, they have their reward. Make shortcuts, take short views, scamp your work, evade the great laws, neglect the permanent and eternal, and you get your returns in the same currency as you insisted upon using. Where is the unprincipled millionaire or corrupt politician whose success any intelligent person envies? It is the bank burglar's kind of success who escapes with his plunder. It is the success obtained a century earlier by pirates and banditti. The time is surely coming when the railroad wreckers, the stock gamblers, the manufacturers of whiskey, the exporters of rum for the African coast, the colossal manipulators of legislatures will be classed with the list of malefactors. Their grandchildren will be as ashamed of their record as men are ashamed today whose ancestors fitted out slave ships. The law of rewards is not negative, intended merely to inflict penalties. Its primary purpose is positive. It means that in the long run the true, the sincere, the friendly, who give what the great world wants, who keep the eternal laws, who care first to do honest service and take pay and thanks afterward, these have the reward in the same terms with their efforts. They got what they sought, thoroughness, reality, welfare, wisdom, love, life. Others took shortcuts and threw away part or all of their cargo. 
It is given to the thorough, the honest, the obedient, without sacrificing anything, to bring their whole ship's load into port. I have said nothing about a social organism. I have had in mind a multitude of individuals, each seeking the utmost measure of life. Mathematical, mechanical, chemical, vital laws hold sway around and over them. A very few simple moral laws, truth, justice, purity, goodwill, equally inexorable and beautiful, serve to maintain human welfare. We will not here call men's disobedience of moral and social laws sinful and wicked. Let it be enough to call such disobedience unintelligent and barbarous, to lie, to cheat, and overreach, to follow lust and caprice, is to play the part of the savage who has not yet heard that this is a universe, traversed and hedged out by laws. All this becomes more clear and impressive the moment anyone sees the larger purpose that underlies the universe. What is this larger purpose, worthy of the universe itself, of the creative intelligence, and also of the chivalrous heart of man? It is not merely the welfare of favored individuals picked out by some capricious doctrine of election to possess what the others forever must go without. It is the welfare of all the individuals. As it is not success with the farmer's corn, if only here and there a fortunate ear fills out to ripeness, so with the world of men it is not enough to see an occasional healthy, happy life, well-nurtured, sweet, sound, pure, and noble. Such lives are prophetic of what all lives will be. They are so beautiful, not because they are exceptions, but rather because they show forth the universal nature. It is in all souls to be sweet, sound, pure, healthy, filled with life. There is no individual success that is not typical and characteristic of this larger human welfare toward which the universe moves. Someone has a grand house, many servants, sumptuous dress, table, and equipage. We are doubtful if this is true success, even for the individual himself or for his children. But he cannot be considered apart from the welfare of human society. Is all this sumptuous show and style of which there can never be enough to go around, which lifts the possessor to a level of exception above humanity, truly beneficent in the view of the larger good? It is not success to have that which does not enrich the life of mankind, much less if others have less for their needs because of this ostentation and luxury. Has some one gained for himself thorough health? This is not good merely by itself and for the healthy individual alone. It is worth very little if only one man in a hundred can ever maintain decent hygienic conditions. But it is very good when the healthy man shows by object lesson the hygienic conditions which we all propose to secure for the million. Have the few gained university education, culture, the enjoyment of books, art, and music? Have the few learned to use leisure? It is not enough if all this is for the few only. It is not success unless the leisure and culture of the few are prophetic of coming days when all men who desire shall have noble opportunities. Did one man long ago attain the beautiful life of a Christ? But the world that produced a single Christ and stopped there, leaving the rest of mankind timorous, cynical, selfish, heathenish, would not be a success. The beautiful and Christ-like life that springs to ripeness as if before its time is good to show the sweet nature wrapped up in every kernel of human life, waiting only for the propitious sun and air. The characteristic of our time is that the great universal qualities are coming into general demand. Time was when a man's success was limited to the advantage of his family, his party, his sect, or his tribe. Time was when men praised the good father whose goodness was only to his own. Men praised the loyal friend, although his hand was violent against other men. 
Men praise the patriot, although he hated foreigners. We are coming now to ask more of men. This is a social world. We cannot tolerate anti-social practices, customs of business, habits of life. The shortcut that runs apart from the great social thoroughfares gets no justification merely because it is convenient for your family, your friends, or your set. Show us, if you can, that it is good also for your neighbors. Beware lest your private way run to the loss, the harm, or the undoing of the many. In every direction, we tend to produce supplies for the universal demands. We are developing power and material plenty. We are making it possible for the millions to have true homes, to ride in beautiful parks, to read books, to enjoy art and music. We are getting these results by combination and cooperation. Who can straighten and improve the great highways of human life and make them more commodious for all? He is a benefactor. He is the master of the future. We may now distinguish the mission of the new and modern type of religion. There have been and are forms of religion which claim to be shortcuts to heaven. There has been a form of religion that left out personal morality, offering heaven on easy terms to sluggards and cowards. There has been a form of religion that left out the divine element of reason. Forms of religion have sacrificed humanity or have thrown joy overboard and left human life orphaned and austere. The world has proved that there is no shortcut in religion. You must take the great ship channel. You must sacrifice no fraction of real life. You must hold the reason, preserve the moral integrity, keep the sympathies warm, unite enthusiasm with reverence. Again and again, the shortcut promises more immediate personal satisfaction. Whatever man tries it and does not presently find the rigorous and beneficent angel standing as with a flaming sword to warn man back away from any mere voluptuous Eden to the eternal highway of truth. These things, to clear thought, seem self-evident. In our best moments, none of us can doubt them. Even on the ordinary level of men's intelligence, there is a dim sense that feels out after the way where reality lies. Like Verdi, when at his worst opera's end, while the mad housefuls plaudits near out bang his orchestra, he looks through all the roaring and the wreaths where sits Rossini, patient in his stall. End of chapter 6